Welcome to the Haven of Horror Buffy Season 3 discussion. Welcome, can you believe that we are on Season 3? It's honestly, in some ways it is hard to believe. I, I didn't know how far I was going to get into this show. I didn't know if I was going to like it that much. Now here we are in Season 3, and I have to say, this is probably the best one yet. My favorite season. Uh... In multiple ways, because as much as this is a fun season and you get some new concepts, at least for me, personally, it's always a little heartbreaking to see the end of Buffy and her relationship. Because, um, of course, he gets his own show, which yeah. coming soon <laughs> mm-hmm. to a, a YouTube channel near you. Um, So, I figured we kind of do this like we did season two, because obviously this fall is follows the form of season two or twenty two episode season. And I don't know about you, but as much as I love I want to be here talking about each episode individually. <laughs> so one thing and we're good, but we are gonna mix it up just a little bit because you know we like to grow and change. That's why we like the show. So I figured we would start with with Milton, you this is your your first viewing. That's been worth that though. Hmm that is that's actually kind of hard for me. Well, hmm. And we do not rehearse this ahead of time, so he did not know about this, this now. Yeah, um, I mean, best and worst, I, I do think about it quite a bit. Um, it's it's a bit hard to kind of choose with this one. All the episodes are actually very good in this season. Fairly consistent quality between each of them. In a way that isn't present in season two, and especially not in season one. If I had to choose one, I guess it would have to be, um, I, I might say Xander's standalone episode, just by the fact that I'm liking, not exactly liking Xander less and less as time goes on, but he's not the strongest character for me. Um, the, uh, the episode where it kind of takes itself less seriously while I understand his presence and his fairly well executed. I do think it is the weakest one. I think that's Consequences? Uh, the Zeppo. Oh yeah, you're right, it is the Zeppo. Yeah, that would be episode 13. The strongest one, I think, um, I like um, Earshot, actually. The one where Buffy gains at least temporary uh, telepathy. I think it's very interesting. It's a way for the characters to be expressed in a way that they haven't before. It's a very interesting device. It goes in a way it goes in the way of telling the, the the moral of be careful what you wish for. Something that can be a positive can become a negative later on if you engage in it too much. Uh, and yeah, it there's also a, it's also an episode where Buffy kind of like sits at the sidelines towards the later, later half and allows the other characters to express themselves a bit more in her absence and allows her to actually be a very present thing still in the first half. So it's a very well-balanced episode, a very well-written one. It kind of encapsulates the show very well in terms of like who's who in, the, uh, in this entire series. Absolutely. So my my favorite my best episode is a tie. I, I cannot narrow it down any closer than this. Uh, but I believe it is episode ten, where Angel is haunted by the first evil. Hmm. 
I love that episode. I love the whole speech with him and Buffy at the end. Uh, yeah. And I love that that's the first real move towards, you know, we're setting up Angel to be able to go off on his own and yeah. find a life without Buffy. Um, yeah. I think it's called Amends, is the name of the episode. And that is very good. It, and it's probably lined up the best ending out of all these episodes. The other one, I cannot remember the episode name or number, uh, but it is where Faith, everyone, Faith is tricked into thinking she was freed and jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the very end, you get the, she's like, I guess I'm like the world's best actor. And then Angel goes second best. And the entire episode tips on itself. Uh, and you find out that Buffy used Angel to figure out that Faith is working for them. I think that's episode 17, Choices, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to go with the Zeppo. I, I have another tie. And I, don't get me wrong. Like like Milton said, I think every episode in this, in this season is fantastic. Um, but I would I think I would have to go with the Zeppo or the, um, the episode where they're all possessed, turn into, like, witch-fearing, witch-hunters. Uh, Episode 11, I think. Sorry, uh, retraction. Uh, the episode is not called Choices, which you were talking about before. It was uh, Enemies. Sorry, continue. Uh, but yeah, the episode where the residents of Sunnydale are like possessed, turn into a bunch of paranoid witch hunters and try to burn Buffy and Amy at the stake. Yeah. Um, actually, right. that, actually, that might be my least favorite, too. Actually, I'll I'll change mine. My main reason for that is because there are no consequences to that afterwards. I mean, except for, you know, the one girl turning into a mouse, but okay, that's I will... lost over quickly. Okay, so um, I actually, I, I'm going to have to speak to you there, but you're not wrong just because you haven't seen But that will be a running subplot until, like, season seven. Oh, okay. Right. So it does have consequences, but it, but it's a minor thing that will suck. I don't I don't see immediate consequences in this season, which I thought I was gonna see a bit more of. But you know. So moving into the main plot of this of this season, um, is very much Buffy trying to pick herself back up to the heartbreaking events of season two. Our angel is dead, so we are left to believe. Except for the credits spoil it by putting David Borinias still in the main cast, but you know, what can you do, right? (laughs) Um and in comes the new Slayer, Kendra Placement, Faith Lahane. I don't know if I said that right. Please feel free to correct me in the, in the comments below. And immediately she's the cool girl, the hip, you know, she loves slaying. But then you start to see there might be a little more darkness beneath that fun-loving facade. Yep. Um, it's... As you were saying before, when we were watching this show, there's like there's hints that lead to like show certain character defects about her. Her she has more outgoing personality, which is not a bad thing. What is a bad thing is sometimes how she expresses it and her disregard for the idea of like holding restraint on really just about anything. She's not a hot held back person at all, not disciplined. And, and there's little bits, and this is where I think Joss Whedon and the, the other writers of this show are brilliant because they don't come out and just tell you that she had a shitty home life. They leave you little drop 
Brooks and Nuggets for backstory. And you kind of get the sense that she was a business guy. Uh, she had a really bad childhood. She never had anybody who cared for her. And he just wants that. He just wants someone that will care about him at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, there is there's an element present where it's not so much about what she has, but what she doesn't have and what she should have that definitely expresses some of the things that she's missing in her character to make her a whole mature person. It's one of the reasons why she seeks out this weird, perverted mentorship with uh, the mayor, because she, she's looking for someone to actually, you know, give her what she feels she needs rather than what she actually needs. Well, and since we're, we're just demonstrated in faith discussion, yep. um, I also appreciate that it's not black and white. Buffy was not as good of a friend as she could have been, but because but that's because of what Buffy was coming with. Uh, not to say that she doesn't try, she doesn't. But she's never able to give Faith what Faith wants because she's dealing with first, you know, the loss of any coming back, all of this stuff in her life. And she doesn't know Faith enough to trust her on these matters, which, she, you know, she didn't even trust her closest friends with it, let alone Faith. And I think even at the moment that Angel discovered to be alive, you're going to see a friction there because Faith feels left out. Yeah, there's, um, it's a lot of it's a matter of circumstance and just bad timing with a lot of events. There's a lot of things out of Faith's control that she can't deal with. At the same time, it's balanced with certain character defects. Buffy still has her hangups. She has a lot of guilt with how she's dealt with uh, the situation with Angel slash Angelus. Understandably so. She stabs him for good reason. Unfortunately, because not because of something out of Angel's control. Angel comes back and she's not sure how to deal with the guilt of the situation or how people will react to Angel simply because Angelus exists. Nothing nothing for what he's done personally. He can't he can't be accountable to his demonic counterpart. But that's also the weakness of dealing with Angel because nobody's really going Nobody seems to have a consistent idea of when Angel could become Angelus, which in some ways is the reason why episode 17 is such a great episode, because there's that lingering fear that Angel could just flip on a dime. And it's it's also that thing, it's like Giles mentions this. Angel, as Angelus, went out of his way to torture all of her friends. It would be hard for me personally can't even imagine characters feeling. I mean, I kind of can't. But how do you forgive somebody whose face you looked into as they were torturing you, but it wasn't that, you know? Yeah. It's, because Giles, when Giles knows there's a difference between Angel and Angelus, but he's still not able to forgive him for what happened at the end of season two. He's able to act like a mature adult because he's gone through the ringer of his character arc already, mostly through just getting past his adolescence in which he was dealing with the black arts. But he still has he's still angry about it, justifiably so. Um he wants to be the reason why a lot of people just aren't outright hunting Angel, except Xander, 
is because, well, Buffy is their friend and they care about Buffy. So they'd rather just have it be where Angel leads. Angel recognizes that and it's like, well, I have to go. Among other reasons for why Angel leads as well, also related to Buffy. So, so since you mentioned it, we'll go into this next. And there's a PP episode that I think we can discuss mm-hmm. as, as we go. But so I like Xander a lot more. Mostly because, A, I've seen the whole show and I feel like he gets to. Um, one of my big problems with all the first three seasons is they don't seem to know entirely what to do with Xander. They know why he's important to the group, but the only thing they can think of to do with him is that he hates Angel. And I feel like at times it's taken to an extreme. Another uh, thing with the extreme degree is his cracking wise. Sometimes the jokes land and sometimes they don't. Most of the time they don't for me. And it, it just makes him seem like a very subversive element to um, the dynamic yeah. sometimes. Uh, that doesn't bother me because I know people like that. True. No, it's realistic. Don't get me wrong. But I look for heightened reality sometimes. Just my own fair personal enough. That's taste. fair. Um, and I think he gets funnier as, as the show goes, but uh, I, I can definitely understand that. Um, I also have a soft spot for type. Xander, you know, Candler from Friends, the sarcastic, like, insecure character. Uh, and you get some sense of his, his... He has a similar home life to Faith does. Uh, so I think it comes the sarcasm even if it doesn't always bring in comes from a character place which softens it a little bit for me uh, I think it's in this season there's a scene that I love because it, it hurts my feelings but he calls home right to make an excuse because he's you know helping Buffy and he has to remind his parents that he's their son yeah that part I, I like because it I mean, you know, shows another portion of his humanity where we can be sympathetic to him. I feel like we need more of that sometimes. Well, and I think that's one of, as much as I love this show, one of the issues is we don't know what, like, Willow and uh, Xander's home life is like other than a scene here or there. It's all from Buffy's point of view. We get a little bit of Willow and a little bit more in this season with the Witch Hunt episode, certainly. But still not enough with Xander, except for the fact of, well, his family really just isn't present, or they're very violent and, like, argumentative. We, I certainly would like to see more of it. I think it serves more of Willow's backstory for us not to see as much. I think it was more for Xander to see more, I think. And I will say, because we mentioned as well as the Thepo, um, just from the episodes we've seen, I think the I think uh, last season's Valentine's Day episode was a better Xander centric episode uh, than this one. Yeah, this I like one is very one. much about him disproving to himself that he's Kate. Yeah, which I don't know if we really needed to see personally. I it's 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 okay. It's I feel like we could have definitely proved that he was more capable if he was allowed to express his military training a bit more which he assumed once the possession happened in the last season. They reference it towards the end in the finale as well. It would be nice if we got more of that, where we can see him, you know, acting with greater competence in an area that others can't act in. Instead, he's just trying to mimic other people this season. 
But let's rewind a little bit here. Uh, we're we're a little all over the place, but there's just so much to talk about with this season. It's very it's very like heavy with the yep. material that it's. How yep. how overall did you feel about Faith Kirk? With Faith Kirk, now that I I really like with Faith, it it acts in a way as a foil to a Buffy's relationship with uh, you know Giles. The whole relationship with Faith and the mayor is very interesting. The mayor himself is an interesting character in of itself. Seeing how he interacts with people also becomes a bit more interesting. Because it it's weird. You would normally think that the master manipulator behind the scenes, um, you know, you might have like an, an Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars where it's like very one-sided. He's manipulating for the sake of getting something. He doesn't actually have any real emotional investment, you know, behind the mask, so so to speak. The mayor, on the other hand, has his humanity demonstrated quite a bit, and in some ways makes him, I would say, more interesting character than Palpatine in some ways, as an example. Because despite the fact that he is human, he is also still allowed to be intimidating. He shows his own personal likes and dislikes about something. It allows him to be human and gives a window for Faith's character to actually engage with someone like him. Because she she doesn't like people as much as she doesn't like monsters. She sees blurred lines with the mayor. And that makes it interesting to her. So... I, I've mentioned on, on when we do these discussions before that I'm a big fan of the YouTube channel when I was a nerd. Uh, after you've been watching this video, you should also check out his content. He's far smarter than I thought for people. Um, but he theorized this season is all about shadow self. self. Yep, but Faith is the shadow self of Buffy. But I, and I can't remember what he said exactly, but with Giles, he went to Wesley instead of the mayor. I would say that Wes Giles has two foils. Because he has Wesley, of course. But he also has the mayor. And the mayor and Faith are like the inverse of Buffy and Um And you can tell that the mayor cares about her, but only as long as he can use her. Sure. He is manipulative, sending, you know, as long as you're doing what he yeah. On the subject of foils, especially, how I interpret it is the Wesley comparison, I think, is still apt. It demonstrates in many ways what the Council wants Giles to be. You know, like, in, like nerdy, informed, but also rather, you know, compliant to the Council. And, honestly, weak. They would prefer a weak watcher rather than a strong one. It kind of it's what Giles has tried in many ways not to be on one end. He doesn't want to be so much of that type of watcher. And on the other hand, you have the mayor, who is an expression of what Giles could be if he engaged a lot more in the dark arts. And he decided not to mature and decided to continue upon that route. He could have easily become something like this. He had a leg up on the mayor for quite a bit, despite the fact that the mayor is a lot older than him. Simply because Giles was very aggressively looking into that sort of darkness. Well, and I think that's one of the other running plots in this season as well. This is, so of course, the metaphor for the first two seasons is high school as hell. We are in senior year and it's graduation day. Yep. Being a double 
for it is also about the graduation council. And this season especially dives in how dainty the council is. Uh, we get that episode, I think it's episode 12, uh, where Giles, we get more of a like, moral gray center for Giles, where he drugs Buffy and strip her of her powers. And the way I've read this, going back to Passion of the Nerd, he agrees with me. This trial was designed to be um, yep. because once you turn 18, the council fears they won't be able to control it. And of course, the council is the metaphor for the patriarchy, male dominance of the world. So they're hoping you will die so a younger slayer will come in that they can still control. It's about Luckily for us, Buffy's smarter slayer. Alternatively, you do survive the test. You're so traumatized by your helplessness that you want to rely upon the council for support indefinitely. There, of course, is the third door that Buffy takes, thankfully, to avoid the test entirely. But in some ways, still go through it because she's still helpless, but she still manages to overcome the trial in her own way, thankfully. Shows how clever she is. And how determined she is in her ability to demonstrate courage in the face of fear. I, I said back in season one that I've always read the moment that she rises out of the water as her become, finally becoming a slave. Because all season one, you know, she's like, do this, want to put my friends in danger. But at the end of season one, she drowns. When she comes back, she said she feels calm, feels good. Very much, you know, embracing what her destiny is. And I think this is picking up on the threads of he's the slayer. He doesn't need them. He has become self-sufficient. It could be the one, like, the semi-biblical thing of, like, the idea of baptism. Like, basically renewal after death in some ways and becoming a new person. It's a very interesting idea. It's probably the one of the only things, just despite the fact of like Christian iconography, you know, the cross and whatnot, you know, whatever. Willow, Willow, I, be, I believe in this season is more about getting her further into magic because uh, her character arc isn't necessarily a specific one. She will have a consistent character arc from the middle of season two towards the end of season two where she first begins practicing magic through the end of the show um, and kind of comes to a head around season six. Yeah. Xander's character is that he's the heart of the group. Their friend. Xander doesn't really go through a whole lot of character <laughs> growth. As much as we might be down on this season, this is still a really good season. There's a, still a lot that we can really like about it. Yeah, Xander's not the strongest point of the show. Going back to Willow, though, yeah, what you say about it is right. Willow's character arc is kind of throughout the whole season, rather than just in, spe- in a specific episode. She kills a she kills a vampire with a pencil, a thing that's been alluded to like quite a bit of her just trying to move objects around. She, I can imagine, at season four, she's going to be a lot more powerful than she was at the start of season three. Or even in the end of season three. I have always seen Willow's art isn't a season specific art. It's art throughout the show. In season one, she's just a meek little girl. 
we're kind of coming into our own. And season two, she discovers magic. And we build on that here, you know, she's slowly learning. But that will continue to build until the seven, final season. Yeah. Um, both in good and yeah, But it's it's usually pretty consistent with good, like quality wise. Um, and on the subject of Willow and Xander, we should probably talk about that event in this season, which comes to a head. Um, I talked. I keep talking about the fact that Willow and Xander could probably get together at some point. I wasn't completely sure. The show addresses that lingering uh, idea. And how did you feel about how they uh, executed this? I did not like it as much because I always saw it as your excuse to break Xander and Cornelia up. Because uh, this season, okay, I guess I guess that would be Xander's character. Tim, him coming into his own, like he's he's worth more than just a blank. Because they they so early on in the season, Cordelia and Xander's relationship did not survive the summer, but they hoped it would. They rebuild yeah. it, of course, but. And then promptly destroyed once. Promptly destroyed. Uh, I buy it more now Now that I've rewatched it with you know, a different thought, like different thought process. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Xander and Cordelia were built on was love. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with Willow and Xander. It was love. Yeah. It's a little weird that it took them two, two years to get to that point, but it's whatever. It's probably in the presence of the fact that hormones came around. That made the lust easier to engage in, because and it's honestly as much as Willow is definitely a partner in the whole cheating process. I honestly give more more of the impetus goes to Xander because Xander's just more aggressive about it. I I'd say it's good. It it ought to be, but I think the show tries to put in light where Xander's slightly more responsible for it. I don't know what. Maybe with the show's communicated, I think they are both definitely responsible for it. They both take blame. Um, but I also think the show is aware aware of why these characters are doing what they're doing. Because the the most notable thing is Willow and Oz stay together. They yeah. work through it. Xander and Cordelia do not. And, it, yeah, if we had to compare Cordelia to Oz, which is a very odd comparison to make, but even so we can... Um, the relationship that Willow has with Oz is formed a lot more healthily, not just because of Willow's character, but also because Oz is a very mature character as well. He's very he's very developed. He's very disciplined and very measured, and he he recognizes that he loves Willow, and so despite the fact that Willow betrayed him, because Willow is willing to be apologetic about it and willing to try to work at it. He recognizes that he loves her and says, well, I'm going to try to make this work because if I love someone, I'm willing to, you know, go past my own immediate feelings. On the other hand, Cordelia is not a forgiving person, not mature, and rather shallow, despite the fact that there is some dimension to her. She doesn't want to continue on a relationship if she feels betrayed at all. Well, and I, I don't think it's so much as as her being shallow in that case. But if you think about it, because we kind of set that up, I forget what episode it is. She has that line that I love so much. You think just because I'm popular doesn't mean not lonely? 
that, that that is true. I maybe I shouldn't call her shallow. She is very vindictive though, which is very well. I would assume a character like that has probably beat on before, because you know she went after the the jocks, you know the the cool guys, yeah. um, yeah. and she thought Xander was. And he was different, unfortunately. He still has his problems. So. Which is a reoccurring show with his love life. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the other thing to mention since we're on the topic of Xander and his love life, probably where I sympathize with him the most, he, this season, loses his virginity to Faith mm-hmm. and completely misreads the situation. Yep. He thinks something more. He tries, he thinks it's an intimate moment. But no, um, it's Faith, and Faith has no restraint. She looks at him like a piece of meat. It's you know, I've always I, I got this feeling because we watched that episode together right, where he goes to talk to her, yep. or did I watch it with my other friend? I'm probably two different people in the show, and it's like blending together. We both saw but, the moment, so we know what you're talking about. But I've always thought if Faith hadn't been that far gone at that point, her and Xander might have been in good place together because they have similar like home life home lives, and it might have been interesting to flesh that out, but at by the point that he went to talk to her, it was too late, she was too far gone. Yep. And I, I think that adds a little bit of tragedy to the character, because if she had tried, if they had tried a little bit harder, if she had tried a little bit harder, I think she would have been a natural fit into the group. But wrong place, wrong time, Yeah, sometimes certain character defects will just lead people to becoming villains, just based on whatever elements just happen to be there at the time. Oh, and of course, was because remember that is the episode where Angel saves Xander, and they have he had that wonderful talk with Faith because he understands what she's done. Yes, right after Faith kills the the human, which is what really kicks her arc on. It starts in episode seven. You get like the you get you know hints that she's too impatient. You get the first fight between her and Buffy, which is wonderfully choreographed. Um, perhaps it might have been this might have been an element to save Faith if perhaps Buffy and Angel had never dated in the first place, because it's because as much as um, Angel tries to empathize and tries to you know bring Faith back into the fold and try to have her understand what she's going through. At the same time, Faith is very much jealous of Buffy for many different reasons. Her rapport with her watcher, as well as her friends and some of her home life. Fact is, she looks at Angel and constantly sees what she doesn't have and what Buffy does have. See, I have a different read. I'm not seeing I think the show I think he was getting through to her. And then Wesley shows up. There's a little bit of that, too. I could see it playing either way. Perhaps both in conjunction with each other. Remember said- this discussion? Uh, sorry, remember this discussion? Because they're going to pick up on this in season four, slash season one of Angel. Mm-hmm. And then I might we might revisit this topic to see if it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of Angel and Faith's relationship. What little there is. Because, you know, he he knows what he's going for. So it's like to take life. 
Uh, he's really the only one of them that do. Yep. You know, aside from vampires and demons and whatnot. It's not the I same mean, thing. The, the students. Yeah. Um, I say I'm a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, fine. It's a verbal filler. Yeah. I think of what else big happens this season. Um, uh, we get our first sign that the council, uh, that not every walker is as good as Giles. Oh, uh, even yeah. Even before Wesley shows up, he walker. Yep, we get one of those. I wonder if her... Hmm. She's helpful to bring Faith's character arc along um, quite a bit with the whole uh, gauntlet. I think it was a Celtic, I think. If I remember. Exactly. Yeah. We can only Sorry, say that. What it looks like. We can only say that now. It's more yeah. of the Infinity Gauntlet looks well. You know, the Infinity Gauntlet was in comics quite a bit before, but you know. Surprise, because this is Josh Whedon. Mm-hmm. If that is a like the could be. Uh, there's a there's an Avengers reference in season five that, in hindsight, is really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's a good uh, point. yeah. I the other thing I do want to mention as well. I, I love the tone of these first three seasons. Even the first one, it's got this like gothic, you know, dark and moody, uh, which I'm sad to say we kind of lose in the next rest of the show. Um, that kind of goes over to Angel and Angel starts being like the darker stuff. Not to say there's not dark stuff in Buffy, but Angel has always dealt with the more mature, like darker. It's not just the fact that it's mature and darker. It has that tone to it, but there's also a humorous element within a sort of levity that can be found when you engage in the idea of friendship. Which, as sappy as it might sound, friendship is magic. Oh, I'm glad you. I'm actually glad you said that. I know you were joking. But that's the other big thing. This is the season that opens up the idea of the multiverse, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, the comic run wild with to stupid degrees. I'm, of course, talking about the Boom reboot, which, if you are wondering, no, we will not be covering the, those on here because I need my brain cell. But anyway, I'm sorry if you like them. I could not get into them. Um, we meet Anyanka this season. Uh, who will become a reoccurring player until the end of the show. Um, he is a vengeance demon, one of the meter, and a, a new type of demon for this season, yeah. who grants mm-hmm. Cordelia's wish that Buffy and him sunny. Yeah. And it very, we, very, we very much get to see the result of that, saying you're in Willow were vampires, the master took over. Although, if you really want to be nitpicky, how did he escape? Because he was supposed to use Buffy to escape, but if Buffy never came to Sunnydale, it yeah, doesn't matter. I'm willing to kind of get past that to a certain degree just to see what could have happened. It could I be agree. another... No, I guess not another Slayer. That wouldn't really make any sense. Or, But we get to see what Buffy would be like without Xander, which is why I've, I've always stood up for Xander and somewhat is why she keeps him around. He needs that, that influence in her life. Or else he would be like the Bob in this episode, who was sadly killed by by the master. But no, it's very interesting. I was a little disappointed at the end of the episode when it ended on a note where it seemed like nobody had learned anything. But then thankfully we get another episode where we're actually able to see uh, Willow's doppelganger actually be present in the real world. And it actually brings some things 
to, to so, focus. Um, Dark Willow has one of my favorite just iconic one liners. Bored now. Bored now. <laughs> Allison Hannigan, I have to give her a shout out this season because she does an amazing job playing not only Willow, Dark Willow. Um, it, and Willow trying to be Dark Willow. <laughs> well, oh, man. Um, I'm so glad there's only two more seasons until season six. I can't wait for that one. Uh, I love that season. Mm-hmm. It's divisive, but I'm in the camp that love it. But uh, back, to, back to this one. Uh, let's see. We, we discussed the mayor. We discussed Faith. Oh, how about Trick? Trick is an interesting I love, character. I love Trick. Uh, he, he's not a very fleshed out character, but he's still entertaining to watch even so. Um, so, for those of you who do not know, uh, Trick is a vampire who is brought into town by Kistos, or as Buffy called him, Kistos. Uh, one of the lines that always makes me laugh. Most uh, things they don't talk about enough with Sarah Michelle Geller, I feel. She's got the, like, she could do the, like, the badass and, like, I'm the kick your ass thing, but she's also naturally funny. Uh, I, I think yeah. I'd say so. Um, uh, but after... Oh, okay. So, yeah, my mind is surprised. But he's brought in by Kikistos, which is, I think, so where we first meet Faith, and that's where you discover that Faith has had a very different life than Buck. Uh, her watcher was killed, presum- I, I don't remember if it says it outright, but presumably by Kikistos. Yeah, I um, think, yeah been a while since we started this season uh like i said milton thinks he had the life of like this channel but <laughs> uh for those of you who are just listening on spotify he smiled uh you gotta think of the audio only people yeah i know sorry smile flip hand sarcastically and <laughs> john laughs but, in response and smiles <laughs> but uh Trick is later brought before the mayor. I don't what? Um, the mayor gets a hold of him and basically knows Trick's place as a supplier, essentially, and as a okay. person who you know likes to organize uh, raids. And he's um he's he's one of the guys that you would I would like I would have liked to have seen Trick actually become the deputy mayor after. Uh, the deputy mayor is murdered by faith. That would have been interesting, um, but that's not what we got. We never really got another deputy mayor to fill in the shoes of the dead one, which I felt was a missed opportunity. But you know, yeah. But we needed room, I suppose, in the runtime to allow the faith and the mayor's relationships, you know, get developed a bit. So you know, we we still got something. The mayor's never left alone, thankfully. Um, but yeah, he basically becomes the number two, number one, you know, right hand or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, until he is killed by Faith, who then takes his place. No, you know what? I'm going to argue with you. What would have been more interesting? What? I don't know how you would spin it other than this is a heightened reality and the people of Sunnydale are deeply, extremely stupid. Mm-hmm. Faith is the reason why I disagree. She's too young. Um, she because she's still she's still of that age. It's a little hard to subvert expectate subvert belief with that. Okay, but you know why it would be. Oh, oh, it would be interesting, no doubt. It would be 
it would be a meta joke on the fact that none of these people look like they're 18 years old. Uh, well, I mean, if you do that too much, then eventually, I mean, what do you mean too much? They never do that. I I know it's just it's a very fragile line where if you begin to reference that in the production, it's I don't know. It's sometimes it's best maybe not to. But so, if you do it once, and like you don't have to draw attention to it, you just be like, in a bold move, you know, he's declared faith as his fair. or something like that. I don't know. Maybe you could. I can't see it personally exactly. I understand why it's interesting. I just don't think it could actually happen in the show. Unfortunately, Let us know in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube, Sergeant. No, uh, what do you think? Am I right or am I right? Either way, we didn't get it. Um, the show didn't want to take the time to do it. Um, in some ways, I think they spend their screen time in this show pretty well. I don't think there's a lot of time that's wasted. Thankfully. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, I've long said this is my favorite season, even though I think as an antagonist, I like Angelus better, just because there's more stake at the fight. I know. I've I've always liked villains who can both be over the top, but also have a a humorous side to them. Sometimes gives them a bit of emotional variance that they could that the actor can work with. Angelus is still very good. I think though sometimes after you've seen quite a bit of him in season two, having him be a an invisible presence or an invisible threat, I think is a bit more effective especially when we're going to showcase Angel's character in his own show. Because we, we're never going to forget about Angelus. And because of that, and because he... But also being having some restraint on Angelus's presence, I think makes him a more intimidating figure. Because if he ever comes back again, and we have to rework back to um, Angel's theoretical redemption again, I think it might cheapen what happens in Season 2 and Season 3. As I say that, they're probably going to do it again. I don't know. We'll see what happens later. Uh, I will say this. Angel Season 4 is going to be rough, buddy. Um, <laughs> that is when both of these show Season 7 of Buffy and Season 4 of Angel are like the worst series. I but, have, uh, yeah, I have a feeling that a lot of things I can say, it would be great if they didn't do this. Stuff that's going to be done in towards the end of these shows. Just but, a shame. Uh, but, Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what I like about Angelus is just how, like, gleefully sadistic he is. Uh, I love both Mayor and Angelus. Um, the reason Angelus wait, at, you know, just barely, like I said, is just because there's more of a emotional connection with Buck. Um, but overall, as a season, this is a better season, too. Uh, then, I, I think... I said this because we watched the finale together, the two part finale, which is kind of like a prediction for the show at this point. Um, this feels like the end of the show. Like, it does. Um, yeah. You want to go ahead and explain it first, I guess? Uh, so basically, we've been building up all these subplots, you know, the high school stuff, the Slayer stuff, Buffy and Angel's relationship, the mayor's decision, and all of that comes to a head now like graduation part one and two 
get it graduation because she graduated from high school and then the Slayer uh, accounts. But anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. But I'm joking. Um, it's the end of that. She gets all the students in on. They all start to fight the the mayor and his minions. It's a bigger scale battle for a TV budget in the nineties. Very ambitious. Do you want to do you want to talk about the um, unfortunate CGI? Uh, yeah, I also have some thoughts about it. It's something else we're going to show, but yeah. So we have to be forgiving in hindsight, in some ways. TV does did not at, at the time have the budget that it does now, or ser or series rather than movies, because we're we're now in a time where series are now receiving the budgets that movies are, and it shows quite a bit in the CGI and animation and whatnot. At this time, it, the rough portions that we get during the 90s is exponentially multiplied because we're also doing it for lower budget too. So unfortunately, it looks atrocious. But the main draw of the show is not through the CGI, thankfully. It's with the writing with the characters. And you fortunately get enough of the character stuff where you can be forgiving for the CGI if you're willing to not be too critical about the limitations of the television at the time. Especially yeah. broadcast television. Personally, for me, it's never bothered me. It looks a little goofy, but it, it kind of fits in with the like the camp side of this show because it's much of a serious drama that this show is. It's characters, it, it still gets a little bit campy, and I like when it gets a little campy. Yeah, I don't think uh, you need the CGI for the camp, but I'm willing to let it. I'm I'm willing to not complain about it as much. I understand why others might, especially if we had a younger audiences, perhaps a generation past us, will probably be more critical of it than we would be, because you know we still lived through a bit of the '90s, and we understood how to, television developed quite a bit. Um, yeah, ninety-five here, so young fuck, only four years, but, but uh, you know, yeah. yeah, also. Uh, that the mayor loves what he does. They're, they do something very smart in this show. Um, one of the things in season one with the Hellmouth and the Master Vampire, you have this idea of we want to have this overarching villain and we want an excuse for the characters to not want to engage in attacking the Master from the get-go. Especially with the series, that's when it's a hard thing to establish. Like, you either make him so powerful that the characters don't want to encounter him yet, or there's an obstacle in the way. Sometimes it is much more effective to write in terms of having an obstacle that the characters can't get past until certain conditions are met. And season one does that a bit in a direct way where you can't get past it, it's a wall. At least until you discover where the Hellmouse location is and then the Slayer can get it. This season does it a lot smarter where we establish, or after we establish the mayor as a threat, very soon afterwards, we establish why he can't be killed. Because he becomes invulnerable. Well, yeah, not invincible. The, you know, that whole thing. And, um, but he's actually at the point where he's, a, he's not able to be killed. He is immortal and his body reforms. And establishing that so quickly after you actually, you know, put him 
get him to the point where he becomes a threat to the group, it's like there's no point to engage in with him until he assumes this monstrous demonic form. And that's the point that, where, you know, the characters realize, oh, oh, yeah, he can be killed if he becomes more powerful. It's, more, it's risky, but that's the only way we can do it. And so leaving that transformation to the very end of the last episode, you know, is a smart way for us to actually set the climax. And, it, and it's a well and it's a well paced element of the season. I think it doesn't receive enough credit. So makes you shudder every time he uh, eats those bugs. Oh yeah, the remind me of like uh like Egyptian scarabs in a way. In a way, yeah. Yeah, but like you know, completely like pitch black and or coal black, I should say, and only um, very crunchy. Apparently, I wouldn't be surprised if they would be. They're insects with hard shell bodies, you know, vertebrates. So, wouldn't be surprising. They're also rather large too. Very large bugs. It, it was very. It was. It was quite disturbing, like seeing them in the beginning. If we got like a just a little bit of a better budget, they could have made them even creepier. So, but you know, we got also, what we got. Uh, a little smaller detail is that the mayor has been alive for more than. At least a hundred. Yeah, I think uh, it's like hundred and thirty something. Like that. I need to and look at. Of course, at the... we we set up the mayor at the end of season two, so they knew uh, where they were going with this. At least for the most part. Uh, he. I can't see it on the wiki exactly. I'd probably have to look it up later, but um. No, he's he's been alive since like the early 1900s at the very least. Far older than he should be if he was a normal human. He's not. It's also interesting to have this element of where this character has had a human spouse and has lived to see her die and develop like dementia and her mind just go awry, which shows that another human element of his development as a character I and it's interesting to see the fact that he admits it and actually uses it as a means to kind of unravel Buffy and Angel's relationship. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, he's he's a he's a villain that likes to monologue, which can sometimes be bad, but in this case I think it's done pretty well. So we're getting close to an hour here. Obviously I don't have time. But I don't know about you, but I would like to try to show you the angel pilot tonight before we call it a night. Sure. So we're going to move into some final stuff. The other big thing I thought we should mention is the prom episode. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the middle of Angel has broken up with Buffy. You know, we're, this whole season is you know, pushing Angel to his, his I don't want to say destiny, uh, pushing Angel towards his own show for life. Yeah, and um, it will allow him to cultivate and you know develop into an even greater character in his own time. And we do we start with breaking up and Buffy, but he he comes back for one last dance at the prom to be kind because he still cares about him. Um and this is where it also starts to feel like kind of a tap off because we get that amazing at the end, uh where I think his name is Jonathan. Uh, which keep an eye on him because uh, 
He's not. He keeps coming back, but uh, gives her the class protector. Award. Yeah, that was a very touching moment, actually, and it completely took me by surprise because it was great seeing that. Concern we have been through like almost three seasons of content, and almost nobody seems to acknowledge what Buffy has done. But by this point, yeah, she's affected a lot of lives here on campus, and it's it's truly heartwarming to actually see people acknowledge her and actually want to honor her for all the great stuff that she's done. Yep. And for it to happen, and thankfully it does happen because it's a good element to actually bring everyone together, quite literal, almost quite literally everyone from the school to be present for the climactic battle with all the vampires and demons and whatnot. Yep. Well, is there any final thoughts that you have now for this? Um, final thoughts um, for me with the production. Joss Whedon, of course, is still at the helm in his writing shows. He's getting better at it as time goes on. Um, you still have many of the main writing cast, David Greenwald, who it consistently gets better as he keeps writing, Marty Noxon. Um, but you also have some new people here as well. Um, David Fury does... Um, Choices, which I think is a good one. Jane Espenson does Earshot, one of my favorite episodes as well. It, the show is consistently getting new writers as well, but also continually establishing the skill of the writers that were present starting all the way back in season one, and they're consistently getting better as time gets on. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to see that the writers keep going and keep like committing to trying to get better at writing tighter scripted episodes. Yeah. Uh, since you mentioned that real quick, before you move on to the final thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that stuck with me from watching Passion Nerd videos is that Josh Whedon has described Buffy as his version of film school. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where he learned basically everything that he would later yep. use in other work like Firefly and the Infinity. That he's apparently a piece of shit. He's right. Yeah, but well, everyone has their faults. It doesn't excuse him for his. It's unfortunate, but I mean, what can you do? At least we can be grateful for some of the things that he has given us, despite the pain that some people have gone through. You know, it's the best silver lining that we can look at, all things considered. Great. Uh, okay. Did you have any other final thoughts before I uh, take you off there? Um, predictions? Okay. You got any predictions? Well, we'll get into that here. Yeah. Uh, uh, other than that, did- no. Okay. So what is your final For Buffy Season 3, I'd give it... Yeah. I'll give it a 4.25 out of 5. Like, four and a quarter out of five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my final thoughts are, I have a soft spot for facing your shadow self or your, the dark version of you. I love how this show handles it. They try to be friends, uh, but it's just not there. I love that this pushes Angel closer to being the character that I fell in love with, so to speak, because Angel is my favorite character in the Buffyverse. Um, I love most of these episodes, there's not one of them I wouldn't watch, just, you know, waste an hour of my time, so to speak. 
Um, this is my favorite season. Uh, the most consistent season, probably. Although there's some game changing. I feel about that. Um, yeah, uh, Faith is one of my favorite characters just because of how complicated she is. Uh, they they smartly don't just boil down to, well, she's the news player, so she's bad. Yeah. Um, get, they don't just do that. Yeah. You know, we get Giles, a little more moral ambiguity there. We get Wesley, who will become an important part of the universe later on. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to give this a 4.5 out of 5. It's the best season. I'm going to change my score, too. I was being a little too critical. 4.5 is actually a fair score. I'm going to change mine right now. You copycat bot. Hey, I want to make right. So. <laughs> Alright, so, as we have done, I think, with every single one of these videos, uh, well, actually, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. We are not sure how we're going to do the next, next video, because there is, of course, Buffy Season 4, but Angel Season 1. And normally, we would just do one and then the other, but there are quite a few crossovers this season. Uh, this is the only season that really happens other than uh, but, for instance, there is a four-part across both shows that's really important. Uh, I'm sure anybody who's watched the show knows what I'm talking about. Milton will see soon. <laughs> so, I will tweet, tweet. I can't speak today. I will tweet out how we have decided to do this. I think Milton wasn't the game plan. We were going to finish both seasons and see what would work best. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, so like follow us on Twitter for that announcement. I put the link to my our Twitter and Instagram, which are both run by me, in the channel description below. Uh, if you would like to contact us there. And I would like to open this that up as well to our, for our social media. If there is a movie that you would like to see, because I want to get more participation, of course. If I wanted to just talk about movies, I wouldn't go to talk to this fucker all day. But I want to see what you guys think, not only of Buffy Season 3, but if there's any movies that you feel like deserve more attention. We are a very small channel, of course, but I would love to try to get, you know, some people out there watching it, falling in love with it. Let us know, either on Instagram or Twitter. Immediately. So, for the final little segment here, we're going to let Milton predict. Are you going to do predictions on fifth season? Or are you going to also predict Season 1 of eight? So, I'm to do both to a certain degree. Um, last one, quite a bit off the mark with quite a few of mine, actually, is there were just some things I just could not predict because season three had its own writing elements to it. Um, but yeah, things to predict based on what you say, based on how I feel. Buffy season four is going to be a bit rough and it's going to be a bit uneven. Um, Oz will still be an element, although I think this show is slowly going to introduce more elements in the writing of Willow and Oz's relationship to slowly edge him out, unfortunately. Because ultimately, despite the fact that I think that Oz is a great character and I think he should stay in the show and I think Will's great too, I think there's going to be a point where perhaps Will, there's something about the relationship that is not fulfilling either character. And they'll probably get split. Also, because I know eventually Seth Green leaves the show anyway. So, you know. <laughs> so I know that too. Um, 
I really don't know what's going to happen with Xander. I truly don't know. There's a lot of different ways that hopefully they could improve his character. I have no idea, though, what they're going to do. And the fact that the show doesn't know either doesn't help me in trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, you say that um, the revenge demon is still going to be an element, so maybe she is a present figure. I don't think that they're going to pursue a very long-term relationship, this, despite some of the elements that are present in you know, the later portion of the show. Xander. Um, I think that the council is going to be a more present element. I think there's an opportunity to make them antagonists, um, but probably not principal antagonists because Buffy still has to be slaying, you know, vampires and other demons. I have no idea what they'll do for an overarching demon, though. There's a lot of unknowns. Because of a lot of unknowns that we were dealing with an audience, I imagine the writing team is going through the same struggles as well. So it's there's a lot of question marks about where this could be. Um, but college will be an element, I'm sure. Because where do you go uh, after high school? College. You know, to a Sunnydale uh, college or Sunnydale University, I guess. I don't know. Was it a college or a university that they're going to? USC. USC? Okay. Feel well. free to let us know in the comments if you... If I'm wrong, season four is not what I'm saying. Angel season one, I think, will have a stronger writing thing because I think Joss Whedon's energy is being directed a bit more towards Angel because of how much more attention he gives and by the fact that Angel is leaving and going for his own thing. You keep to, you keep describing and comparing Buffy and Angel to like Superman and Batman. I think we're probably, and as you say, darker elements of the show. I think, what is the character's name? Whistler? Yeah, that guy. He's going to be an element in the show, I'm sure, because Angel's probably going to go back to a different familiar location to him. Maybe New York? Maybe. Or if not, probably somewhere else in California, maybe Los Angeles or something like that. Maybe. Whichever is... Easy to shoot, I'm sure. You know, enough film locations for people to work with. Maybe you might hop around. I don't know. Um, you probably get more of a direct demonic element where I think Angel's going to actually deal with a lot more um, not as obviously malicious demons. We get we get the presence of a demon in this season who actually tries to um, sell something in exchange for money. I think that element of like the demon underworld that isn't outrightly trying to, you know, eat humans is probably going to be a more present element in shows like Angel as opposed to Buffy season four, for instance. So I'm looking forward to something like that if that, ha that actually happens to be. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. So I'm only going to tell you on one of the things that she predicted before the uh, Whistler was supposed to be an angel, but they could not get the actor, so he will not be. Hmm. Uh, they created a character. Interesting. Um, all right. Well, hopefully, he's he or she is good. There's some more behind the scenes stuff, but I'll tell you as we get there. But uh, thank you guys for watching. I've been looking forward to doing this forever. Milton, don't take so fucking long this time. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, everyone. 
Milton, Milton snorts his nose, flips his hand as he usually does. Re- real life comes first, of course. Um, don't forget to check out our Tale of the Walking Dead uh, playthrough as well as the State of the Cake videos that I'm uploading. If you're, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Anchor or any of the other dozen platforms we are on, feel free to check us out on YouTube as well. Thank you guys for listening, watching, however you are consuming our content. We couldn't do this without it. We wouldn't be doing this without We really couldn't. We, we love just fulfilling this the edge of the internet. <laughs> we will be back this Saturday with Shaun of the Dead and Ghostbusters with a special guest star, but I'm not going to tell you guys who yet because it's a surprise. Someone we haven't had to show yet. And then that will probably be the last guest star for a while. I'm thinking the next time we have a guest star on it will be Lighthouse, which is a brilliant film. Yep. Um, but that is in an undisclosed future. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you're watching this after the fact on YouTube or hit that follow button on Spotify or whatever listening to this currently on. We appreciate you guys and we'll see you soon. Thank you for watching, guys.